the prophesied socialistic world government or stakeholder capitalism and ESG. Religious trauma syndrome? What is that? Rapture versus tribulation saints. What's the difference? Palestinian efforts to demonize Israel, setting the stage for prophesied events. And Pope Francis is the world's pastor? Well, we'll talk about this and much more on this edition of The End Time Show. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. I'm going to get straight off into this today because I've got a lot to cover. However, prophecies foretell that the Antichrist world government will be a socialistic or a communistic one world governing body. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 3, the Bible says that John saw a vision of a woman sitting on the back of a scarlet colored or a red seven-headed ten-horned beast. Other prophecies let us know that the color of red in end-time Bible prophecy symbolizes the ideology of communism or socialism in the world. So the end-time world government, driven by Satan himself, remember the Bible says the dragon gives him his seat, power, and great authority, this entity of a world government, it's driven by Satan. Satan is the dragon. So that's how we know that this future world government will be a socialistic one world governing body. Well, how is that being implemented in our world today? We say we're in the end time. How is socialism being pushed in around the world and especially here in America? You say, well, Dave, come on, not here in America. Socialism, communism? Oh, yeah. The Fraser Institute published an article, Stakeholder Capitalism and ESG, The Road to Socialism. Everybody out there that owns a business, especially if you're in the corporate world, pay close attention to this ESG section of the program because it's a soft sell. It's a runaround. They would never say, hey, we're trying to implement socialism or communism in America. But they will, what they will call it is stakeholder capitalism or ESG reporting methods, right? Klaus Schwab, the president and founder of the World Economic Forum, he said years ago in an interview that of the 50 years that the World Economic Forum has been established, he said, I'm not most, um, the thing I'm most proud of is not that we've had all these huge meetings in Davos, Switzerland and had all these elaborate plans about a world government, but that stakeholder capitalism has become, is becoming mainstream. Stakeholder capitalism, what is he talking about? Well, stakeholder capitalism, according to this article uh, from Fraser Institute, Stakeholder capitalism and its cousin, ESG, is short for environmental, social, and governance. These two are related movements that diminish economic freedom. It's pushing socialism in America is what it is. They diminish economic freedom, 
the key to prosperity and they push us closer towards a new brand of socialism. But at the end of the day, it's all socialism. According to the article, stakeholder capitalism means businesses should not purely focus on maximizing returns to the owners or profits, but rather they should use their resources and of the companies to solve social problems, maximizing benefits to various stakeholders, not shareholders. Or stakeholders meaning their, their employees, customers, suppliers, communities, governments, countries. ESG, these reporting methods, they remain a subjective concept used for a wide range of causes from climate policies to diversity initiatives. And so ESG and stakeholder capitalism are really nothing new. I mean, they used to be called um, corporate social responsibility, CSR. Milton Friedman warned about it, what, 50-some years ago. Corporate social responsibility. The, the um, one thing that would uh, do away with America's freedom in our corporate world would be if the corporate world became working hand-in-hand -hand pushing uh, the, the elite's agendas and working for the government rather than for profit and capitalism and pushing our capitalistic society. The ESG and stakeholder capitalism movements will ultimately see governments and unelected bodies and special interest organizations force businesses to choose the appropriate ends for businesses to achieve, rather than profits for the shareholders and for the business owner, but to use those profits to push socialist agendas in America. And I'm going to prove that to you in great detail in just a moment. In many ways, these movements are simply different approaches to socialism. Instead of governments owning the factors of production and commanding the heights of economy, ESG and stakeholder capitalism use the regulatory state or the government to control businesses for their own political and special interest ends. And so rather than a government owning the business, they will allow you to own the business but yet they will control where your profits go. Okay? It's socialism, but it's in another name. Stakeholder capitalism, or at least ESG. At a time when global elites are justifying this mass social change in the name of public health or more, a more equitable, sustainable future, it's time to recognize the socialist nature of these arguments and the inevitable stagnation and increased poverty that it will impose on citizens wherever it takes root. It's moving us off of our capitalistic system here in America and forcing companies to move on to stakeholder capitalistic and these ESG things. Now, there are governors in the United States that recognize what's going on and they're fighting against it. News 8 uh, in Florida they, and there's, it's all over the news right now that Governor Ron DeSantis has announced new legislation to ban ESG, environmental, social, and governance, on businesses and to ban ESG and woke banking in Florida. And um, Governor DeSantis spoke at a Florida, the Southwestern State College's Collier campus in Naples. He said that the governor proposed new legislation to end these ESG woke banking. So he called it a push against these elites, which is the deep state, the establishment, 
the world government that's being pushed. They're all working in together, attempting to inject these political ideologies into investment decisions, corporate governance, and really just the everyday economy. ESG, again, environmental, social, and governance, these policies for economic institutions and investors focused on how the financial organization is managing risks. And so Governor DeSantis is coming against ESG because he, he's recognizing that it is going to do away or move against our capitalistic system here in America and move, implement stakeholder capitalism, which is just a soft sell, another name for socialistic principles in America. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 in time. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. Now, I, I, I want to talk just a little bit longer about this ESG and stakeholder capitalism because it's, going, it's affecting many of our businesses right now in America. Socialism. Our government is trying to control socialism. But that you would never see a, an article on CNN or MSNBC that says the government's trying to control your businesses. What they're trying to do is to, is to say, hey, this is for your best interest. It's environmental, social, and governance sounds wonderful, doesn't it? ESG. So what it is, and I'm going to get into the sustainable development goals really quick, but the instead of a business, the way America has been built up to this point has been businesses. It's the American dream. I want to start a business. I want to be a millionaire someday, whatever. I want to have a big house. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to get some investors, and we're going to work to make a profit we're going, to bring, we're going to hire some people and pay them a good wage and allow them to make a living. 
but the profits above and beyond our working expenses, we're going to have, be able to, to have a nicer life. And people have worked towards that, and that's what made America, has, besides the Judeo-Christian principles, financially, physically, that's what's made America what it is, by, by and large. But the ESG, this uh, would have policies for economic institutions and investors focused on how financial organ, um, organizations is the organization is managing risk and opportunities related to rather than just profits, you're not focused on profits anymore, but related to environmental, all this green agenda they're pushing. That's what your profits should be going for. How are you spending your profits business? These are your ESG reporting methods to the government. How are you spending your profits? Are you working to help the environment? Are you working to help social justice causes? Are you working for um, certain elements of governance criteria? For sustainability purposes? You see how they, the government doesn't want to own your business, but they want to control your profits. That's ESG and stakeholder capitalism. The United Nations, the World Economic Forum, all of these people are working towards this. I had a video um, when I did on my conferences last year about Joe Biden saying, we need to move off of the shareholder uh, capitalistic platform. Joe Biden's in with all of this, okay? So Governor Ron DeSantis said that the purpose of ESG was to, he, he knows exactly what's going on here. It's to limit oil and gas, and, and that companies using ESG didn't want us to be energy independent. Because the, Joe Biden said in his debates with Donald Trump, we're going to move off of the oil and gas industry. So if you're pushing ESG, you would say this business here, if you're looking to have a group of investors and you're a, an investment firm like BlackRock or somebody, you would say, well, this company here is not as investable because they're pushing coal-fired power plants and oil and gas industries but this, this uh, firm here is pushing wind and solar. So that's more of a, a, um, a, an investment for you. That's a better investment for your company. So what they're doing is it's a social credit score. This company's not aligning up with what we want to do. And our agendas, these sustainable agendas, which is it's, it's just socialism. It's another form. So you're not, we don't want you to invest in this company, but... These companies are pushing our agendas, and these are the ones that you should invest in. You see how it happens? So when you get BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, all of these huge investment firms pushing this, then you can see how business would, would say, well, man, if I want them to, to recommend my business as a good investment, I ought to start aligning up to their agendas. This is what stake, uh, stakeholder capitalism and ESG is all about. Ron DeSantis, the governor of uh, Florida, and many other governors are saying, nope, can't do that. That's not going to work for Floridians. And he's, he's, he's pushing legislation to ban ESG in Florida. And so there are other governors doing it as well. But I just heard a speech this morning from Ron DeSantis, and so I wanted to make sure everybody here understands that the reason Biden, we've talked about it before, but the reason Biden is trying to weaken America in every aspect, our economy, our border, our military, our, our, um, the, our culture as a whole, is so that we cannot impede. He wants to weaken everybody down so much 
that we cannot impede their evil plans to push socialism here in America. Now, you say, Dave, I, I, I can't really sink my teeth into what you're saying. I can't grasp it. Well, I want to read you something from the Harvard Law School Forum on Corporate Governance back in 2018, because this stuff didn't start yesterday. You say, man, I've just started hearing about this ESG over the last you know, couple years, and wow, they're really pushing this ESG. It's something that me as a business owner ought to comply with. I would not do that. I absolutely would not do it. You're pushing socialistic agendas in America. How do I know that? Well, this is from the Harvard Law School Forum on Corporate Governance. And the title of the article is, The UN Sustainable Development Goals. The UN Sustainable Development Goals, I want you to understand, replace the Millennium Development Goals of the United Nations in 2015. It is the United Nations Socialistic Blueprint to govern the world. It's 17 goals. Look up the Sustainable Development Goals. Well, then listen to the title of this article from the Harvard Law School on Corporate Governance. The UN Sustainable Development Goals, the leading ESG framework for large companies. This is 2018, before it really went mainstream, and they're talking about these ESG methods can help us reach, these reporting methods by these businesses can help us reach the Sustainable Development Goals, which is the United Nations Socialistic Blueprint for our planet. So it says this, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the executive summary real quick. It says, this is in 2018, but they say, last month and ahead of next week's UN General Assembly meetings, the UN Global Compact and the Global Reporting Initiative released a report titled, Integrating the Sustainable Development Goals into Corporate Reporting. That's what we're talking about. How will you spend your profits? We want you to give the government a report an ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Report. That's what this thing's talking about. We want to integrate the Sustainable Development Goals, the United Nations Socialistic Blueprint to Govern the World, into corporate reporting. Will this business align with our edicts to push these socialistic principles, or will they not? And if they won't, me as an investment firm, I'm not going to recommend them as a good investment. If they will, then hey, we'll they're willing to play ball, then we'll, we'll recommend them. That's what's going on in America right now. And that's why Ron DeSantis is saying, no, we're not going to have that in Florida, which is a great thing. This goes on to say, this guide provides user-friendly and user-friendly manual for corporations to um, identify and prioritize their sustainable development goal targets, set objectives, and measure and report their progress. If used by corporations, the guide may shape the future of corporate ESG disclosure given the far reach of the Sustainable Development Goals as described in SDG's overview, and many of these topics and strategies overlap with corporations' mandatory reporting requirements. Did you hear that? Mandatory reporting requirements. Corporations who have committed to the SDGs, the United Nations Sustainable uh, socialistic blueprint to govern the world. Corporations who have committed to that are those that commit or those that, and those that commit in the future will need to coordinate their mandatory and voluntary ESG disclosure carefully to avoid conflict and legal liability. So they're saying anybody who aligns up with our sustainable development goals and wants to push these socialistic principles around the world, <clears throat> then they want to play ball, 
then all these big investment firms will start recommending their businesses. Go look at some of the major corporations in America. Many of them have ESG metrics and reporting methods on their homepage, ESG. They're ones that have bought into this stuff. And it's pushing socialism in America. You say, well, the Sustainable Development Goals, that isn't all. Uh, you know, some of those things are about the planet and about helping people that are having problems in the world. Well, I, if, you go look at the, if you go look at the overall plan, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, it says these goals will not be, it's not going to be possible to implement these goals unless wealth is redistributed, wealth is shared equally. Well, that's wealth redistribution. That's socialism. That's what this is all about, taking from the haves and giving to the have-nots. And I'm not even building a huge bridge here. It's, they're, not, they're working together. And so if Fortune Magazine, they ran another article, Why Your Company May Soon Be Hiring an ESG Controller. I'm telling you, folks, this stuff is everywhere. They're pushing socialism in America. The Bible says the end-time world government will be a socialistic, one-world governing body. Most of the world is already socialistic. And what we're seeing is them setting the stage for these great end-time events, this world government that's going to be established. Again, we have governors here in America, many of them, that are fighting against ESG metrics being and these reporting methods being put on these woke banks and these woke corporations, and they simply don't want that in their state. I don't want it here in Texas, and so we need to resist this stuff. We don't want it here. Okay? Uh, I want you guys to know about it. I don't want you to be caught blindsided because ESG, look up ESG. Or, or stakeholder capitalism in the news. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of articles on this stuff. And I don't want you to be caught blindsided by what's coming. And if I had a, a, a major corporation in the corporate world that was, um, had, they come to me and said, hey, we want you to report this, I absolutely would not do it. What Governor Ron DeSantis is doing is a very, very good thing and I'm thankful that there are governors who are willing to step up to the plate and say, no, no socialism in my state. Okay? Now, let me shift gears on you and go in another direction. There's a point of interest in an article that I read this morning, and I wanted to just maybe clear up some misconceptions. I'm, I'm going to go full off into Bible Prophecy 101 here, okay? The Christian Post ran an article it said Revelation 8. Well, when anytime something says Revelation, I'm in. But it said Revelation chapter 8, the trumpets, which the Revelation, the uh, trumpets are actually in Revelation 8 and 9, and they end in 11. The seventh trumpet is in chapter 11 because there are par there's parenthetical material in between those. But this article, the Christian Post, they said Revelation chapter 8, that the trumpets the seven trumpets announce something bad is about to happen. Well, I thought, nah, I probably ought to read this, right? It says there are times, and I'm going I'm to clear up something here. That's why I want to read you the article. There are times of significant anxiety. I'm not saying this, I'm saying this, and I'm saying there probably is, but this is the Christian Post. There are times of significant anxiety. Every day, tens of thousands of people feel like something bad is about to happen. This free-floating worry is vague and uncertain, and it troubles them deeply. Psychreal 
It's a group which is made up of um, psychologists and other mental health professionals. They say this, and I'm quoting here. Feeling something bad is going to happen is particularly common in the current times because of the instability around us in the face of political upheaval, social issues, as well as the biggest health care crisis we have seen in our lifetime and in the pandemic. One example of this is something now referred to in the mental health field as rapture anxiety. Okay, that's one. You've, I talked about that here a few weeks ago. Another name for this so-called mental and emotional disorder is, get this, religious trauma syndrome. I've never heard that in my life, and I've been around this stuff a long, long time. People are having religious trauma syndrome. It's a new area of study that suggests preaching on the second coming of Christ and explaining the Lord could come at any moment psychologically traumatizes people. Now, I want you to understand a few things because I want to kind of clear up some stuff here. The doctrine of imminency that the Lord could just come at any time. He could come at any time for any one of us. But the Bible specifically says that there are more prophecies to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ returns for His church. The Bible's crystal clear on that. And I know there, there, I've read so many articles over the years where people say, He could come tonight. He could come tonight for any one of us listening here. But the Bible's very crystal clear. There are more things to be fulfilled before He comes. And so, I, again, I want you to know, nobody's promised tomorrow morning. Not one person here. He could come for any one of us. But the rapture, the Bible says there are prophecies to be fulfilled before that event occurs. Now, I know I'm kind of uh, um, rocking some of your theological boat here, your eschatological boat. But that's simply the case. And I've taught through the final seven years. We'll talk, to, talk about it many more times because we want you to know. You say, well, you know, Dave, you're um, just coming against everybody's, uh, everybody else's teaching here. That's not what I'm trying to do. All I'm trying to do is get people to heaven. But the Bible says you can understand these prophecies, and that's what we need to talk about. What, and the article goes on to say, what would cause someone to suffer from rapture anxiety or religious trauma syndrome? Well, it, it gives a couple examples, but I, I didn't want to cover those. But it, 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 number one is to not know whether you're ready to meet the Lord at that time. It says in Revelation chapter 8, the Lord Jesus breaks the seventh seal of the scroll and the time frame is the second half of the tribulation period, which some scholars call the Great Tribulation. Well, for those of you that listen to the End Time Show, that's simply not the case. The final seven years is not tribulation, only the final three and one half years of that. There are many scriptures that tell us that. And time, times, and half a times. 42 months, 1260 days. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. 
call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. So, the article was saying from the Christian Post that the, during the final seven years of Great Tribulation, that these final seven, these seven seals and the seven vials and things would be opened and that the, the, then, the, then the Great Tribulation would happen during the final three and one half years. <clears throat> Let's make sure we understand. The Great Tribulation happened, it begins halfway through that final seven year period. The Bible does not say there's going to be tribulation up to that point. There are no scriptures in the Bible for a seven-year tribulation period. Only a great tribulation period spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 24, the final three and one half years. When the And this is why we, I've taught many times, Doug and Vince have talked about it, the, the book of Revelation is not written in chronological order. When you believe the book of Revelation is written in chronological order, then you'll believe, most people believe, that the seals, trumpets, and vials happened during that final seven-year period. That simply is not the case. And the seals began to be opened hundreds of years ago. And the trumpets, World War I, 1914 to 1918, that was just over 100 years ago. So the, the seals and trumpets have began to be opened, and, but they'll all end at the same time, and that's the second coming in the Battle of Armageddon. They overlap each other but they all just don't happen during the final seven years. Once you get this, I'm telling you, it will totally open your mind up to the book of Revelation. Now, the article goes on to say, when the seventh seal is opened, there's silence in heaven for a space of about half an hour. And here's one, get this close. The prayers of the tribulation saints <clears throat> ascend to God from the altar. Remember the term, Tribulation saints. We'll get to that in just a moment. God releases it. They say God releases His wrath with thunder, lightning, and earthquake based on these prayers. Okay. Wow. When I saw this, I thought, I got to say something about this on the radio because there has been a debate for years, and I've heard it talked about many times. Rapture saints versus tribulation saints. It's always puzzled me. Rapture saints versus tribulation saints. The saints are the bride of Christ, right? Rapture saints, is that one bride? Tribulation saints, is that another bride? No, there's only one bride. So, what's the difference in rapture saints 
and tribulation saints. Is, the, is there a difference? Okay, here's the answer. There is no difference. Rapture saints and tribulation saints are the same thing. Jesus Christ doesn't come back prior to the tribulation and take His church home and then say, but I'm going to allow some people to suffer through the tribulation and then I'll gather them together sometime in the future. Okay, nah, it's not going to work like that. That's not scriptural. Here's why. There's many reasons why, but Jesus is only coming back once. He's only come back one time. I, I've heard the term um, secret rapture. He's going to come back, split the clouds, gather the people out of, out of, uh, out of the, out from, you know, there's going to be one laying in the bed, one left, and, and all this, and, and that is true. But when, when you say secret rapture, He's going to come back as a thief in the night for those that aren't watching, but for those that are watching, it's not going to be secret. And the Bible says in Revelation 1-7, when He comes, every eye will behold Him. Doesn't it? Read Revelation 1-7. Every eye will behold Him. So Jesus is only coming back one time, and it's at the end of the Great Tribulation. But also, 2 Timothy 4-1. The Bible says... Uh, that I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. Okay, what, what happens at the time of the rapture? Revelation uh, eleven fifteen. That he comes with a reward and he gives it to the prophets and the saints. Everybody in the Old Testament that were saved under those plans of salvation leading us to Christ, they obeyed during those dispensation, those plans that were a stopgap measure getting us to Christ, they're part of the church now. They're the, they're the prophets and the saints. And then the saints, Revelation 11, at the last trump. We all go to be with Him at the same time. So, this scripture says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. When does He establish His kingdom? It's at the time when He comes back to establish His kingdom here on the earth. And the kingdom is, that we are the inheritor of the kingdom, the Daniel 7, he gives the kingdom to his saints. So the Bible says, at his appearing, singular, not appearings, plural. It's at his appearing. He's coming one time. 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Singular. Titus 2.13 Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing, singular, of the great God and our, and our Savior Jesus Christ. So he's coming back one time. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1-3. through Now, I, I understand what you're saying. I'll just hold on. But the rapture and the second coming are two separate events, right? At the rapture we go up. At the second coming we come back. Well, actually, both of those are true. Did you know that? And, but it all happens. It's one continuous event. The rapture and the second coming. The rapture, the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky, and the second coming. It's all one big continuous event. The Lord comes. 
He sends His angels to gather His elect from all over the earth, wherever they may be. We're gathered for the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky, and then we go on to fight on behalf of Israel at the battle of Armageddon with Him as the armies of heaven. That's Revelation 19. Read it for yourself. There is no scriptures in the Bible that the rapture occurs, and then there's a seven-year period, and then the second coming occurs. Okay? No scriptures. Now, I, I know that some of you have steam coming out of your ears. I'm not trying to stir up a hornet's nest here. What I'm trying to do is to get you over the hump from the traditional teaching that's been around for decades and decades and decades. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3, The Apostle Paul said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. He's talking about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. He said that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor His word nor letters from us, as that day of Christ. It doesn't say the second coming and our gathering together in Him as those future two events of Christ is at hand. It said as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, there it is a second time in two verses. For that day, the second coming and our gathering together in Him. It's going to be one continuous event. For that day shall not come except there comes a falling away first, the man of sin be revealed and the son of perdition. So, the Lord is going to come back, gather His saints. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky. We go straight to fight on behalf of Israel at the battle of Armageddon. The Bible says He gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And it's one continuous event. So, what does that mean? There are no, there's no division between rapture saints and tribulation saints. There is simply the saints. There are, again, I want to say this one more time because I've read so many articles where they refer to the saints as, well, these are tribulation saints. Those are rapture saints. No, no. There are no rapture and tribulation saints. They're all, there are just saints. And they do go in the rapture, and they do go at the time of the second coming because it's all one event. When the rapture occurs, all the saints will go. Old Testament and New Testament saints. If somebody was saved under the tabernacle plan out in the wilderness, they'll go at that day. If somebody was saved in the temple plans, when Solomon built the first temple and God anointed it and he came down and this, God's presence filled the temple to where the priests couldn't even measure, when they were saved during that dispensation, they will rise at the time of the rapture. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 11 that God will come with His reward and give it to the prophets and to the saints. And so, we all go. When do we go? Matthew 24, 29-31. Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, moon shall not give her light, stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Remember, Revelation 1-7, every eye will behold Him. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Well, if He comes secretly, I didn't say He wouldn't come as a thief. For those that aren't paying attention, yeah, He's going to come as a thief. 
but he's not coming secretly. Because the Bible says here in Matthew 24, when he comes, all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. What are they mourning for? If your feet don't leave the ground, I would certainly be mourning. The Bible says, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Hold on a minute. It says they all shall see him coming in the clouds of heaven, doesn't it? With power and with great glory. And then what's, he, what's going to happen? He's going to send his angels with the sound of a trumpet, the last trump, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. When did Jesus say that this event would happen? Immediately, look in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay, well, then 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-17. Bible says, But I would, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others of which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those that have died and went on. My father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, this is referring to him. He's sleeping in Jesus. Will God bring with him? For if they say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Irvin Baxter is going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, possibly Dave Robbins and many of you that are still living, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. I'm going to see my father-in-law again, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. When did Jesus, that's the same event as Matthew 24, 29 through 31. When did Jesus say that would happen? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. The Apostle Paul said, Behold, I I'm going to show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. So some of us are not going to die. The Bible says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, it's the seventh trump, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so, folks, we're going to be with Him. It's, he only comes back one time, and that's when all of these things occur. A lot of people try to separate these out. But He's only coming one time in the future. And that's to rapture us out of here. And that event happens at the end of the Great Tribulation. So, there's no tribulation saints and rapture saints. It's all one saints. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began the ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. Endtime is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, 
please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Wow, man, I just kind of feel that I've stirred up a hornet's nest, you know? <laughs> you ever felt like that? It, it's really not my intention to do that. I know where a lot of this teaching comes from, guys. You go back to the old Clarence Larkin book, Dispensational Truth. And he taught a lot of these different principles that the Christian Post is writing about. And I'm thinking, man, live, I, you know... There's no scriptures for most of that stuff. So my intention is simply to teach the truth. And we've got to understand there's no such thing as tribulation saints and then rapture saints and there's a seven year division and those that are left behind will be, once they have their heads cut off, then they'll be uh, somehow, because of getting their heads cut off, then they're worthy enough to meet the Lord. And no, wait, 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 hold on. They're simply persecuted during the time of the great tribulation it doesn't mean because I've had my head cut off that I'm somehow uh, magically made worthy. There's nothing I can do physically that would make me worthy. Yes, I do need to be baptized and, and repent. And, uh, yeah, I, need, I do need to do those things, but that I'm just obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ when I do those things. It's nothing that I have done. I can't work hard enough or uh, make enough money, buy my way in. I don't have enough education to get into heaven. But it's simply that I have obeyed the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's how we get in. But there will be people when uh, Revelation chapter 20 talks about people who were beheaded, they were just people that were persecuted during the Great Tribulation. It doesn't mean that because of that, then they were somehow made worthy because they've had their head cut off. Okay? They were, they've simply have been, they were persecuted. Um, yeah, Dom, we're really staring up a hornet's nest, right? But this is Bible, this is Bible prophecy, and I want to make sure we all get it right. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Uh, we, we probably ought to go to Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. You say, why are you doing all these things, Dave? All of these are the same event. There, there's, there's not a separation between a bunch of different events, okay? There's one elect in the New Testament. That's the church. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter your race, all that's irrelevant. There's one body of Christ, and that is the church. If you've been born again, you're in the church. You're in the body of Christ. And we're going to go to be with Him. Revelation 11, 15 and 18. Bible says the seventh angel sounded. It's the same trump in 1 Corinthians. It's the same uh, trump in Matthew 24. It's the same thing. The seventh angel sounded its trump, the last trump, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Remember, the Bible says at His appearing in His kingdom, this is when it is, the one appearing that's coming is going to happen right here. And the Bible says, in uh, Revelation eleven eighteen, and the nations were angry. Thy wrath is come. That's what's going to be poured out at the great trip, the, the uh, 
Battle of Armageddon, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. The Bible says He will judge the quick and the, de quick and the dead at His appearing, not seven years before, but at His appearing, singular, the quick, at the, the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto the servants, the prophets, and to the saints. It's all one big body, a group of people. Old Testament and New Testament. And them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. It's all the same event told over and over and over. Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Revelation 19, 7, 9, Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. This is the rapture. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, something that is imputed to you from Jesus Christ when you're born again. Righteousness is not something that you can earn. It is imputed to you. You understand that the, the principle of imputation? And then verse 9, I'm in Revelation 19, 9. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky. The rapture occurs, we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky, and he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Read on down through Revelation 19, and it talks about God coming back with the armies of heaven, which is the saints, at the, and to fight on behalf of Israel at the battle of Armageddon. Zechariah tells us he's going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. And it's the rapture and the second coming, folks. It's all one big major event. Rapture, marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky, go to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon, and then everything wraps up. Revelation 20, 4 through 6. Bob, uh, John said, in, in a future event, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them, which were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. So during the tribulation, there will be people that have been beheaded and, and for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had uh, not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the did, those that were unsaved individuals that were in the grave, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. The ones who were um, with, the ones who came through the great tribulation, the Bible says they went in the first resurrection. They absolutely did. That's the first resurrection. That's the rapture. But also, my father-in-law will go in the first resurrection. If I'm still alive, I'll go in the first resurrection. Those that have been beheaded for the witness of Jesus Christ during the tribulation, they'll go in the first resurrection. There's only one first resurrection, folks. There can't, there, uh, there's not any parts to the resurrection. There is the first resurrection. And that's what Revelation 20 verse 5 is referring to. It's talking about people that had came through the great tribulation that went in the first resurrection, after the tribulation. Uh, Revelation 6, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part on the first resurrection or the rapture on such the second death. Those that will come at the great white throne of judgment, that has no power. On such the second death has no power. 
those that went to the first resurrection. But they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with Him for a thousand years. The people that went in the rapture will not stand before God at the great white throne of judgment. I know I'm pushing all of your theological, eschatological buttons today. You say, but Dave, we're not appointed unto the wrath of God. We're not going to be here during the Great Tribulation. I agree 1,000 percent. We're not appointed unto the wrath of God. That is true. However, the wrath of God, the Great Tribulation is not the wrath of God. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. The Bible says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I agree. I agree with that. I agree with every verse in the Bible. Okay, So, we're not appointed under the wrath of God. I, I totally agree with you. It does not apply to the saints, but the great tribulation is not the wrath of God. Very, very important. You say, well, Dave, what about Revelation 3.10? The passage says, uh, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that shall dwell upon the earth. Yes, some do contend that as God protected the church of Philadelphia from temptations that came on the earth 2,000 years ago, that somehow that likens that to the rapture and that God will not allow the church to go through the rapture. <clears throat> and so He would protect us from the, I, I'm sorry, he, that He would protect us from the Great Tribulation. But this passage was simply a message to the church of Philadelphia 2,000 years ago that John had oversight of after he was released from the exile on the Isle of Patmos. A, a similar message was written to the church of Smyrna. If you jump back one chapter to Revelation 2.10, the Bible says, The devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. John was on an Isle of Patmos writing letters to these seven churches, and he tells Smyrna, you guys are going to have tribulation ten days. And then he tells the church of Philadelphia, because you have kept the word of my patience, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation that's going to come on the whole earth. He's not talking about the great tribulation there, folks. He's talking to the, the physical church of Philadelphia that was in... Um, uh, Asia Minor there and that, that would uh, there was going to be a tribulation that come up on the earth and he said hey I'm, I'm going to keep you out of that. Nowhere does it say he's going to keep the future church the end time church out of great tribulation. Okay? It just simply doesn't. Does that mean that the great tribulation will only last 10 days like he told Smyrna? No. Of course not. We, we know that's going to last three and a half years. So again, this is a message to one of the seven churches in, in Asia Minor which John would oversee after his release from exile from the Isle of Patmos. So, I, I know, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying I want to go through the Great Tribulation. Don't get me wrong here. That's not what I'm saying. But the Great Tribulation is simply not God's wrath. It's Satan's wrath. Revelation 12, 7-13. The Bible says there, in, this is a future event. There's a war in heaven. Three and a half years into the final seven. There's a war in heaven. Michael and his archangels fought against the dragon and his angels and overcome them. The Bible says, and they, the dragon and them, they, the, the Satan, they prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. At this point, today, Satan still has access to heaven. He's the accuser of the brethren. 
The Bible says in uh, Revelation um, man, 12, 9, And the dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This war has not happened yet. Satan did rebel, but he's not been cast out yet. In the book of Job, he still had access to heaven. Okay, So in verse 10, and um, John said, I heard a loud voice saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God, power of His Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you that are in heaven, rejoice, and you that dwell in Him. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil comes down unto you having great wrath because he knows that he hath but a short time. This is, the, this is the great tribulation. The Bible says, When the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted, that's tribulation, he persecuted the woman which is Israel, which brought forth the man-child, that's Israel. And then verse 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the church. This is the great tribulation here. Satan's wrath. The wrath of God is the seven vials of the wrath of God poured out way over in Revelation 16. Revelation 15, 1 says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the great, the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. That's in Revelation 15, 1. And then in Revelation 16, 1 it says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So you can see all, how all these things play together here that there's, there's, no real, there's not really any such thing as a rapture saint and a tribulation saint. There's just the saints. There's just the body of Christ. There's just the church. There's just the bride. So just want to make sure we're all getting it right here. And uh, hey, let's have more conversations about it. We love you guys. And number one, just be ready to go.